From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome. Oh, we've got a bit of an echo there. Carlos, Carlos back in studio, if you could address that. Take two. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And you can stream this audio on uh, my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and my Rumble channel, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Uh, Before we get rolling, a quick shout-out to a couple of our Patreon supporters. They're in the Star Chamber tier, Deep Paul and Tim Sullivan. Deep Paul and Tim Sullivan, thanks for your generous support. It really does mean a lot, more than you can uh, imagine. I really uh, am touched by your continued support and generosity. And if you'd like to become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet plenty of tiers to choose from just choose the one that's right for you any amount of course is greatly greatly appreciated coming up in hour two the prophetic works of 19th century author ingersoll lockwood two writers and researchers delve into the life of uh, lockwood whose books were written before the turn of the 20th century but both contain eerie similarities with modern-day political events. Lockwood wrote a number of books, but three in particular have captured our imagination since the election of President Donald Trump in 2016. Lockwood's two books, Travels and Adventures of Little Baron Trump and His Wonderful Dog Bulger in 1899, and its sequel, Baron Trump, Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey, In 1893, in the novels, recount the adventures of the German boy Wilhelm Heinrich Sebastian von Trump, who goes by Baron Trump as he uh, discovers weird underground civilizations. Then he offends the natives, flees from his entanglements with local women, and repeats this pattern until arriving back home at Castle Trump. In July 2017, books were rediscovered by uh, internet forum users and then by the media, and they were pointing out all of these similarities between the protagonist and, of course, U.S. President Donald Trump. Jamie Fuller wrote in Politico that Barron Trump is precocious, restless, and prone to get into trouble. He often, often mentions his massive brain and has a personalized insult for most people he meets. Sound familiar? Fuller also notes that Barron Trump lives in a building named after himself, Castle Trump, of course, the real-life Donald Trump, lived in Trump Tower for decades. And furthermore, Donald Trump's youngest son is Baron Trump. Chris Riotta noted in Newsweek that Baron Trump's adventures began in Russia. Riotta also mentioned another book of Lockwood. It's called 1900 or the Last President, in which New York City is, uh, well, there are all these protests following the, uh, the shocking victory of a populist candidate in the 1896 presidential election who brings on the downfall of the American people. So, if you're into uh, the mystery of Ingersoll Lockwood, you'll want to uh, hang around for hour two when authors Todd Wood and Walter Bosley will be here. This hour, the co-founder of an alternative social media platform is here to discuss social media censorship, the power and impact of big tech companies, the critical nature of privacy and 
end-to-end encrypted communications, as well as the importance of the de-radicalization of the Internet and how free discourse, rather than censorship, is empirically proven to combat polarization and extremism. Bill Ottman is the CEO of Minds, minds Minds.com, a leading alternative social media network with over 5 million users. They're building an open source and decentralized app that shares revenue and, and crypto with the community. Bill himself is extremely passionate about addressing privacy concerns surrounding big tech platforms. Bill is extremely passionate about free speech and censorship. He's also knowledgeable in UFO, uh, UFO history, conspiracy, psychedelics, freedom, art, and satire. Sounds like my kind of guy. Hey, Bill, welcome. How are you? Yep, welcome. Thanks for having welcome. me. Psyched hey, to be my here. pleasure. So tell us a little bit about the model of Minds.com. It's billed as, or you've talked about it being 100% organic, chronological, raw, forever. What does that mean exactly? 100% organic, chronological, raw, forever. Right. So the, the newsfeed algorithm in terms of the default setting, like this is one of the scariest things happening on social media is that, you know, what you're seeing is a real time manipulation engine feeding you content based on everything that you're doing. You know, every refresh of the feed, it's calling upon machine learning algorithms to, we don't know what they're doing. None of it's open source. And so, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is everything, the inverse of the corrupt tactics of of big tech. And, you know, I know that there are a number of emerging alternatives these days. And, you know, any any platform that is is supporting free speech is is cool in my book. But I would say that the elephant in the room that very few people are talking about is this transparency around the algorithms and and the code itself. To us, if the code is not transparent, then the platform doesn't actually care about your freedom. They're trying to have an edge over the community. You said something interesting there. there. A lot of things you said there were were interesting. But again, Carlos, I'm getting um, an echo in my my earphones. earphones. I'm not sure where that's coming coming from. from. Hmm. Apparently, it's on my end. It sounds fine to me. Anyway. We'll uh, persevere as best we can. So you believe that Facebook and others, they should open source their technology, their software? Yeah, exactly. We, we, we think every, every app, you know, even, even Rumble, you know, they're, I think, you know, pushing us a, a slightly better message on speech, but none of their code is, is open source. So, and, you know, there are a number of other, you know, quote unquote alternatives. I hope that they'll realize this, that you can share your code and still protect yourself. Like you can, you can still keep your copyright. There's all different types of interesting licensing models so that, you know, no one's going to run away with your code wild. But the crazy thing is that, you know, the whole infrastructure of the internet is powered by open source. Open source is in most phones and computers and people don't even realize that people a lot of people are running linux and they don't get it and it sounds stupid and techy but it's really like the core principle of freedom of information and transparency with with the users i mean if 
the code's not transparent, then it is almost guaranteed that the company is doing sketchy stuff. I mean, I know like spying. Fact, they're spying. So like spying. I mean, even Rumble is spying. They use Google Analytics. I'm not saying that this is malicious intent. I think that a lot of people use these tools and just because it's easy. But when you put Google Analytics in, in your website, you are literally becoming an agent of Google. You are feeding them everything about the people who visit your site. And yeah, you know, it does enable you to make valuable business decisions, but there are open source analytics tools out there. You know, we, for instance, have been building out an open source analytics infrastructure that we share with people. Anyone can go to developers.minds.com and, and grab our code. Anyone can make their own app with our code. There are some people who build with our software. So this is scary. You know, when you're on all of these apps, you see an ad like Google and Facebook have convinced everybody to become their agents without even realizing it. You know, when you put a little Facebook like button in your website or your blog, well, guess what? You just handed over everything about all of your visitors to Facebook. We've become yeah, part I know. of what the hive mind. Hive mind. <laughs> yeah. But right, how right. does that work for you as a, a good business model? If I can take your code and make my own social network and compete mm-hmm. with you, how is that good for you? Oh, that's great for us. That spreads our code, our protocol will get us all types of contributors to our software. So we actually use a, a license called the GPL, which does have a statement in it where if anyone, anyone can take it, make their own app, monetize it, sell it even, but they actually have to share their changes with everybody, with the community. So there's all different types of interesting models for licensing where you can have that transparency but still protect yourself. Bill Ottman is the uh, co-founder and CEO of MindsMinds.com. Facebook, are are we supposed to call it Meta now? Why did Facebook change (laughs) your name to Meta? Ah, good question. I will not call them Meta. I will will never give them that satisfaction because Meta is actually a cool word and Facebook's not cool. So they are attempting to own the brand of the Metaverse. And the metaverse actually stems in the crypto community where, you know, it's sort of talking about this virtual world where you have your digital goods and assets and you bring them around with you and they're, they're tied to your identity, your decentralized identity. And, you know, NFTs are tied to your address. Um, you can sell them. You can interoperate between different platforms some of which are virtual reality or augmented reality-based. Like there's one really cool project in the Ethereum community called Decentraland. And you can log in there with your crypto wallet. You know, Snoop Dogg just made a, uh, I think actually he might have made one in this place called Sandbox, which is also on Ethereum. But it's pretty much like VR and you can buy these little plots of land, similar to other computer games, but you actually own that land. It might seem kind of hard to understand, but in all of these different crypto projects, you have these like token economies and people can buy little different plots or supplies of the token. And and those tokens in some cases represent digital land, (laughs) which is sort of an absurd uh, 
concept, but it does seem that people are spending more and more time on their devices and we live in a remote world. And I do tend to agree that it's an inevitable evolution of the medium of technology. You know, if we look at the history, we went from radio to TV to computers to smartphones and also from you know images to much more immersive video. So clearly we're going to keep evolving. So where where would that go? Or it, devolving. It, I mean, do you think it's healthy? Probably both at the same time. Right. It seems like we're being Marshall McLuhan talked a lot about this, about technology pulling us out of our bodies. You know, with the advent of satellite technology, we're being pulled out of our bodies. And he sort of attributed a lot of drug use and alcohol abuse as an attempt to get back into our bodies. What do you think of that? Yeah, there's a really fascinating tension happening with that push and pull. I try to be balanced about it. I used to be much more like generally anti-technology, like before starting Minds, and I was just disgusted by the psychological impact I could see Facebook having on my friends, and it just seemed totally weird and antisocial. But then I discovered how tech can really liberate people as well, particularly like cryptography and decentralized open source apps, and how there's sort of this like war going on on the internet between apps that do care about your freedom and apps that are trying to exploit you. And that's happening right now. Every app we use every day is sort of a part of that war. And we, you know, with the rise of crypto, we are finally seeing like critical mass hit where these sort of inherently freedom based technologies are unstoppably taking over. They're even taking over the economy. I mean, El Salvador just made Bitcoin legal tender. Um, you know, countries are, are, are adopting this uh, tech. And even Facebook is, is, you know, tried to start their own crypto, got blocked by uh, the feds. Um, Twitter is starting to integrate different crypto functionality. Everyone has to. There's really no choice. And I just find that a really beautiful thing that this anonymous creator satoshi nakamoto could come up with this code that just spreads it's like it's alive it's it's insane so you think that ultimately that may be our saving grace in terms of this surveillance state that we're now immersed in the power of corporate entities that we may be able to circumvent all of that through blockchain and and crypto but at the same time we have to realize that these are in a sense hyper transparent systems as well so you know, you are getting control over your assets and your money by, you know, having a crypto wallet. You control the, the keys. You know, you're basically your own bank on your phone. Now, depending on the blockchain, different blockchains are more privacy centric than others. They're, they're very secure and you own your assets, but like the Bitcoin blockchain is actually, it's pseudonymous. It's actually not an anonymous cryptocurrency. Like you, if you know how to keep yourself anonymous online, you can use Bitcoin in an anonymous way, but you can also, you know, if you're using an exchange, they know your identity and then they're going to be able to track your transactions to different people. So it is, it's pseudonymous, but there are other chains that are, doing interesting things like Zcash and Monero where you know there is more privacy baked in 
So I, it's very much up to the user to still use tools to protect their own privacy, VPNs. This must frighten yeah. governments and the ruling, the ruling class, class, let's say, because it's demonstrating to us we don't, we don't need government anymore. anymore. We don't we need don't banks anymore. They must be crapping in their pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that Bitcoin, you know, we just heard the Fed, the Federal Reserve recently had these this meeting changing interest rates and they printed trillions of dollars over the pandemic and we saw what happened this last year with crypto i mean because bitcoin ethereum you know these have sound money principles particularly bitcoin in bitcoin there will only ever be 21 million bitcoin the fed is just printing money this is why satoshi created bitcoin bitcoin is basically this ghost in the room of the federal reserve meetings keeping them in check now because they know what's happening. They're watching this happen in real time, this new parallel economy emerge, and they know that they can't print too much. So it's really fascinating to see this people-powered network take over. And I think, you know, the privacy stuff, so surveillance can happen on Bitcoin. However, it is much more in control of the people. You kind of have to weigh the cost-benefit. Would we rather have a decentralized money system powered by the people or corrupt central banks that are just inflating everybody's assets away. And over time, I think that all these protocols will develop more privacy-centric features. But, you know, yeah, that's the paradox between privacy and transparency. I mean, it seems like as time goes on, things are getting less and less private. I mean, look at what we're doing right now. We are live streaming a conversation on video we're sharing sort of this these intimate details about ourselves and we're doing that more on a daily basis everybody is everybody's sharing every you know about their lives on online on social media and i like at the end of the day i think it's very much a personal self-discipline issue for people to live balanced lives i definitely don't want people getting addicted to minds. I want people going, you know, I, I want to educate people how to consume information critically. We're, you know, we're never going to tell people what to think. We're never going to tell people what to do. But, you know, even my myself, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, I mean, I'm sure you're feeling like addicted to technology sometimes and you got to go for more walks and it's crazy. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to right, walk, walk away, away as, as, as best, best I can. I can. Uh, Bill Ottman stays with us, the CEO and co-founder of Minds, the leading alternative, alternative social media network, and we'll uh, try to fix the echo. I think it's on, it's on mine somehow, somehow. and uh, we'll come we'll back and continue, continue this conversation. Stay with Stay us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin. All right, welcome back. Bill Ottman stays with us, CEO of Minds.com. So is the idea here to get back to, I mean, the reason I got on social Social media, media, I don't don't share the fact that I'm having a latte at Starbucks or uh, it's it's to promote, you know, my radio show, my, my podcasts. So I, I approached it as a as a as a content creator creator, but I mean I've been on Twitter for for ten eleven years. It's it's a heavy slog. I don't I'm not making any headway. None of my 
I've never been able to, what do you call it, that uh, hit that viral nerve. Mm. And I think there are a lot of content people out there who feel the exact same way. First of all, why is that? And would that change at minds.com? Yeah, that is demoralizing. <laughs> sitting, sitting on these networks for years and, and not growing, not really knowing if they're shadow banning you or what is really going on. But yeah, I mean, actually, we built a whole infrastructure to to battle that. And essentially, we have this whole token reward system uh, where you earn minds tokens for your contributions every day. And then one token is actually worth a thousand views. So you can earn reach on minds for for generating engagement and you can boost your content with the tokens that you earn. Um, and that we built that sort of indirect reaction to Facebook destroying everybody's reach that they, you know, spent years earning, uh, so that they could actually, I mean, you're only re- you're reaching less than 5% of your own followers on Facebook. It's it's absurd. It's like the most antisocial thing imaginable. Um, social media was meant so you post and, <laughs> and the people who follow you see your post. They, so they literally destroyed the, the very most basic thing that people are expecting. And so we built this, this tool to blast your voice out and to be able to earn that reach. So, um, and it works. Actually, even though you know, we're a fraction of the size, we absolutely found, find that people who, who really earn tokens and, and engage the community hard, no matter how small you are, they can, that you can actually generate a much larger audience than you can on Twitter or Facebook. So you've got, what, about 5 million, million on, yeah. on minds.com? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the vast majority of people are, you know, don't have 5 million followers. Um, so the, the vast majority of people, like thousands of followers, would be a, a huge leap from you know, what, what they're getting on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter so, without paying. So, you know, because you can actually, we want people to have this meritocratic uh, possibility of, of earning their way in. And we don't want to just exploit people and ruthlessly um, take their attention and their, their time and energy. We, and we also share our revenue with the community. So, we're we're really trying to help creators earn, get seen, doing that without surveillance, and um, yeah, you know, I, I think that we're seeing things slowly shift. Look, we're, this is a long game. Um, it's not going to be nearly as easy to displace big tech as it was for big tech to displace MySpace. I mean, MySpace was not like embedded into culture in nearly the same way that Facebook and Google and Twitter and everything are. So I don't really, to be honest, part of me hates to say this, I don't see them disappearing in the same way that sort of MySpace has sort of become completely irrelevant. I think that they're probably going to get, they're going to have to get publicly pressured to change their practices. Um, And, you know, over time, hopefully become a little bit more ethical but I, yeah, I, I, I think it's not a zero-sum game. I mean, many networks will survive and thrive, and you know things are going to be more interoperable. You're not going to have to, uh, you know, post on a million different networks. I'm, 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 I think that that's what makes it harder for up-and-coming networks as well. It's like people only have so much time in the day. 
Right. It's like, uh, you know, oh, everyone's oh, moving over to parlor. You got to go to parlor. No, no, no. Oh, forget no, parlor. It's parlor. Gab. No, forget no, Gab. Forget. It's Getter. And then and, right. you throw your right. hands up and it's like, forget it's like, about it. Uh, who owns Minds? Minds. So we are partially community owned. So our first funding round was done, it was an equity crowdfunding round. We used this platform called WeFunder and we raised a million dollars from like 1,500 members of the community. So that was epic. All of those people own stock now. Uh, and then we did, we've done two fundraising rounds. We did uh, one round with Medici Ventures, which is a blockchain focused firm. And then we did, we just recently did one with FUTO, which is a tech freedom organization out of Austin. And uh, then, you know, myself and our team and, and thousands of members of the community. I was watching an interview you did uh, with Joe Rogan. First of all, how was that going on with Rogan? Did that, was that like a huge boost for Minds to getting on that? I mean, what a, what a mega, a megaphone that guy has. Yeah, I mean, Rogan is just really level-headed dude um very engaging very honest you know i love you know we'll put we'll steal man he'll he'll play devil's advocate he'll re- you know he really is just totally absorbed into the conversation and i think that yeah he totally gets it he also had on uh, daryl davis who's one of our he's on our team uh and he's famous black man who uh got over convinced over 200 members of the KKK to leave the KKK, which is just <laughs> an amazing achievement. And it really flies in the face of all of these journalists and, and kind of media talking heads who are calling for censorship, acting as if censorship is going to, you know, stop racists, which <laughs> if anything Censorship is going to make that problem worse. Daryl knows this. Daryl has had more positive impact than all of those journalists combined. None of those journalists who are calling for censorship have ever de-radicalized anybody. They are all completely... How did he do that? How did he do it? He did it because he listened to them. And he, you know, wasn't trying to brainwash them. He just wanted to understand how they thought and why they thought what they thought. And over a period of years, it does take years, um, they left. And, and you know, it's, it's not a 100% success rate. I'm sure that, you know, there, there were many failures in there as well. But sort of what we're, what we're trying to do is we, we are about to release this huge paper that we wrote with Daryl and also uh, Jesse Morton, who's a former radical uh, Islamist who actually recently passed away uh, tragically. And a number of PhDs. And what we've done is we've brought together all of the peer-reviewed research and empirical evidence of how censorship actually causes increased radicalization and polarization. And, you know, it, it makes people think that they're the victim. It makes them think that there's an even bigger conspiracy going on in big and tech. you take away their voice. If you take, you take away, away their voice. voice yeah. You, you're scrubbing away their identity. That leads to violence. violence. Of course it does. And it, it like literally directly in many cases. So, you know, we're really trying to spread this information because there is just this massive gaslight that is happening online right now where big tech is trying to act as if they have some sort of moral high ground with all of the censorship, whether you're talking about COVID or you're talking about racial stuff or you're talking about 
hate or like whatever it is, you know, misinformation, whatever that means. That just means whatever they want it to mean. And it, it is becoming so darkly dystopian that, you know, something has to be done. And this isn't a left or right issue. And, you know, because, you know, actually a lot of the conservatives don't like to admit that a lot of the far left does get censored as well. A lot of LGBT. Yeah, I agree. It's not about right or left anymore. It's about big and small. small. Yes, it's authoritarianism versus freedom. And so this information that we're, you know, it's a hundred, hundred page paper bringing together all of these studies proving that censorship causes greater radicalization and in many cases violence. And we, we want this to be a resource for people to literally just share this link every time they see someone trying to argue that censorship works because literally the evidence for this is essentially non-existent. Here's, here's what they'll, they'll try to argue. For instance, I'll bring up one example. There was a massive study done on hate speech on Reddit where a team of researchers analyzed hundreds of millions of posts and they concluded that, well, yes, of course you can censor in an isolated system, but at the end of the paper, the scientists said, oh, well, clearly these people just went to other networks and became uh, much more inflamed in their beliefs. Um, and because the network, the Internet is a network of networks. So when big tech bans people, well, guess what? They come to all the alternative sites. They come to us. They, they go to others that you mentioned. And, you know, I think that there are cases of people becoming indoctrinated by propaganda on social media sites. So it's not that radicalization – I mean we do become in a sense the media that we consume. But when we don't have the ability to see the full spectrum of information, that is what is going to ensure that we get indoctrinated. So, um, yeah, sorry, I got to jump in because I got to yeah, take a time out here. Out Please, here. we'll, uh, we'll uh, come uh, back and continue, continue to discuss uh, censorship and big tech. Bill Ottman, CEO, co-founder of Minds, Minds.com. Back with uh, more in a couple minutes. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in hour two, two, the mystery of Ingersoll Lockwood, Todd Wood, and Walter Bosley will be here right now. Bill Ottman, co-founder, CEO of Minds.com, stays with us, a leading alternative social network with over 5 million users, and they're building an open source and decentralized app that shares revenue and crypto with the community. We were talking about extremism. So how is Minds.com moderated? I read somewhere where you have a jury system. Does that still operate? Yeah, it does. Our whole appeals process operates through a jury. We essentially did that to make sure that we weren't being biased so that, you know, if our team ever did make a mistake, what happens is users can appeal and then that gets sent to a randomized selection of 12 active users who vote on it. Because, you know, it's just absurd how lack of a the, the lack of a redemption process that there is on big tech. You know, we always want to give people a second chance. Some people are literally just completely insane and, you know, just abuse networks. Um, but, you know, we align with the First Amendment for our content policy 
and we want to expand the jury even even further. Um, so it's 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 gone quite well, and I think that you know these are the types of things that that need to be that need to happen. I mean, you we, ha- having a big tech Facebook came out and said that they spent over I think over ten billion dollars on moderation censorship essentially, and <laughs> I mean that is just such a massive number, and so we would never do that we you know we would empower the community we would reward the community for participating and if anything spend that money on bringing in uh mental health resources for the community um you know don't like if you want extremism you know i don't i'm I'm not even gonna sitting here like trying to define stream extremism i mean right now we're in such a toxic climate that you know regular democrats and republicans think each other are extremists so, you know, let's not even talk about the far left and far right. Literally, people can't even have a dinner conversation without calling their uncle an extremist. Right. So, we criminalize the difference of opinion. Right. I just think that the the level of dialogue is just plummeting. And we need people to start to become aware of the actual data around this issue because – I don't see too many productive conversations just sort of, you know, most people who understand free speech from an an intuitive sense, you know, they're just going to stand up for free speech because it's obvious, you know, the, the U S you know, it's, it's a healthy society. I mean, and people in their gut know why free speech matters, but it's getting to the point where we do need to arm ourselves with more specific information because there are people who are actively trying to take away free speech in the U S and that is just so dangerous. I mean, we've had multiple waves of like millions of users joined from abroad, for instance, in Thailand and Vietnam, you know, these, these people are actually living in authoritarian countries and they look at, this conversation in the U.S. happening, and they are stunned at how entitled and spoiled we are in the U.S. to, you know, be talking about giving up free speech or like wanting to censor. To that, you know, in 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 the U.S., well, we're the Biden administration actually admitted to having com- telling Facebook what to censor, which was like a shocking revelation. But you know. The corporations in the U.S. are 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 taking away our speech actually more than the government. The government, with all the COVID stuff, it's it, the government seems to be starting to get involved, which is which is horrifying. But I, do, do you see where I'm going? Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I were to if I were to if post, I, were to post uh, I don't know. Can I post videos on Minds.com? Yep. Let's say I uploaded a video, an interview I did with uh, Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough. Uh, he's uh, been on this show. I've had him on other programs program. talking about. Yeah. Uh, therapeutics, uh, let's say ivermectin, or the or efficacy the, of, let's say, the Zelenko protocol with, with hydroxychloroquine. Right. And let's say a jury of 12 of my peers, peers on, on Minds.com said that's, in, that's misinformation, that's disinfo, that should be taken down. Would it be? Well, that's actually not how the system works right now. Right now, the if anyone was going to report that up front, it would go to our team. And we like, so our content policy is, is first amendment based. So that would not, uh, no, that would definitely not get taken down on mines. Um, and so 
That being said, we do want to try to bring a, uh, in the jury system to that initial review. Now, that gets into more decentralized reputation. How can you trust the people who are actually participating in the juries? Um, but it would more so be the opposite. It was like it, it, it would be if somebody reported your Peter McCullough video and one of our admins made a mistake and, and it did get taken down, you would actually be able to appeal it to the community and 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 get that video reinstated. And you would c- come to us directly. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just going to be more human. Right. We're we're going to be accessible. You can't even talk to a human at these tech companies, despite them having billions of dollars of resources. Like they're spending billions on moderators, but you can't even talk to a <laughs> customer service person. It's and it's and, and when I post that video, it's going to reach all of my my followers, right? Right. Every exactly. one of them. Yes. That's that's cool. That's refreshing. All right, Bill, we've got to take one. This was a short segment. We'll we'll, uh, we'll uh, come back and finish up. Finish minutes remaining with Bill Ottman, CEO, co-founder of Minds.com. More in a minute. minute. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, we are back. I apologize for the echo. We're trying trying to to eliminate all the different possibilities. It's still there. However, we'll uh, soldier on. Bill Ottman stays with us, the CEO of Minds.com, leading alternative social network, over 5 million users, and they are building an open source decentralized app. Uh, I want to get back to Facebook for a minute because um, you were were talking to Joe Rogan about about this, and 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 I found this fascinating. I had no idea that this was happening. Uh, And we were talking about how content – people on Facebook, they're not reaching their own, their own, uh, their own their followers, own. so their likes are going down. down. This is causing depression. Facebook knows it. They're actually sort of engaged, or they were engaged in this social experiment with Princeton University, how they could control our emotions. Talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they weren't happy that that one got leaked. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, again, the media that we consume, of course it can alter our emotions. And so what they did is they wanted to see how effectively they could do that. And they started injecting more you know, happy and sad content into people's feeds and started measuring the reactions. And that's what they found. They, they could engineer emotion. And so... You know, all of this talk about, and obviously on Instagram, it's all body image and all these face filters and likes and, you know, it, it is, it's it's a big mess. But I think that the one of the primary problems is when you take away people's reach, it's kind of what we were talking about before, just generally in, in terms of censorship, you're taking away their voice. And so when you're not allowing people to reach their friends and they feel like you know and then the likes are sort of reflective of this because if you're if you're limiting the reach you're limiting the likes and 
you're you're limiting people's ability to communicate and that just has a, a devastating emotional effect so um i just I, I think it's absurd you know and the, the sick part about this is that the user experience is so good <laughs> on facebook and youtube and Twitter and all of them. I mean, they've literally hired the best designers and engineers in the world to create this sort of magical UI. And we're all just helplessly addicted to it. Right. If you're just scrolling. Yeah, you're just scrolling. And, and they just, they, and, and the algorithms are pretty damn smart sometimes. You know, they will show you something that you're like, oh, I, you know, I really do want to see that. And, so it's not like algorithms in themselves are good or evil. They are just tools. But, you know, the user should have control over what tools they're using. We actually just rolled out a build your own algorithm feature where you can control, um, you know, obviously it's default, you know, 100% reach everywhere. I'm talking about more in like discovery section of the app. You can alter like how many people you want to see who are different from you so that you don't get stuck in an echo chamber. And or you know, you can open and close your echo chamber. We all have echo chambers. And we just really want to give people control over that. I think that the frame that most of us go into social media, or maybe not us, because uh, we seem to be having a slightly more elevated conversation about it, but a lot of people go to social media to get mad. You know, they're ready to have their hot take or they're trying to slam somebody or get offended. But what if when you opened your app, you were actually looking to find somebody who thinks differently from you? You were looking to find somebody who actually in an, in a normal scenario might trigger you and you'd think that they're a moron or you know ignorant but what if you actually decided hey I'm going to go and find someone like that and engage with them and see if I can make something out of it I mean that's what Daryl would do and that's a incredibly rewarding experience so you know and it's not everybody's cup of tea but look all of our sanity is at stake here i mean who wants to be scrolling through their feed and just be getting pissed off at the people on the other side even if the pe people on the other side are insane so a lot of what we're, we're our project is is to reframe the whole experience itself i do want to make sure that we can get into some a little bit of alien stuff uh, and ufo stuff in the end if if if, if, if we can sneak that in but i'm okay I, well I'm let's do that now let's do that now uh, bill because we have about six minutes here and um I, I just, you know, I, I would love to go there, but I'm just, I find this so uh, engaging. I mean, I'm not, I'm a bit of a Luddite uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed <laughs> with uh, how I allowed myself to, you know, to, uh, to waste so much time on social media, not realizing, you know, how the game was being played and not understanding why as a content creator, I, I wasn't getting any bang for my you know, all the time that I, it just seems like time wasted, but minds.com seems like, uh, you guys like have a totally different approach and it's more, more creator based. So let's, well, let, let's talk about UFOs. I mean, where do you want to go with that? How did you get into the history of UFOs? I mean, to me, it's all freedom of, of information and, you know, whether you're talking about a corporation not sharing their code or not sharing, you know, the, your own data with you. You know, it's the same with the governments. And the governments are just 
you know, they're basically just the biggest corporation <laughs> with guns. <laughs> and, you know, it's just been amazing to watch everything happening with like Chris Mellon and, you know, kind of this new wave of, of just like soft disclosure happening. And, you know, because when it gets to like social engineering, mass psychology, you know, all the conspiracy theorists are obviously justified in having questions if governments and corporations aren't going to share any information. So, you know, the burden is on the governments and the corporations to start being transparent. Otherwise, it's, you know, conspiracy is a a totally natural and justified byproduct. So, you know, well, of course, need, not just with UFOs, but with with, with COVID, yeah. with everything. I mean, they, they, <laughs> who are they? But you know, the uh, the ruling class, the the uh, and the journalists now, the, the fourth estate, are part of that class. They, you know, they're cheerleaders. Uh, they created this monster. Yeah, and and you just don't even really hear people talking about disclosure and freedom of, of information. I mean, you, these, these phrases are, we need to get them used more often in, in all of the media. I know you guys are talking about it all the time, but there's all these culture war issues happening. People talk about freedom of speech a lot, actually. Now I think that, you know, it's good that that debate is actually raging, but to me, freedom of freedom of information and FOIA is actually more foundational than free speech. Free speech is totally foundational, but but if you don't have access to information, you are ignorant. You cannot make an informed decision if you don't have access to the maximum amount of information. So whether you're talking, whatever conspiracy you're talking about, JFK, UFOs, you know, 9-11, any of it, it's like these communities are going to be demanding answers and if you can't give any information then i'm sorry you deserve to have these these conspiracies existing and i i just i don't what what you know i know we got to go but like what do you think is really going to change the game in terms of like massive foia reform well, I'm not uh, holding my breath for disclosure in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, official disclosure, if that's what we're talking about. About, uh, I mean, the justification is always the noble, noble, the noble, the noble lie. lie. We can't handle the truth. truth. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean, states have to have secrets, secrets obviously, obviously. If 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 they're going, they're going to. to uh, you know, prevent information from falling into the wrong hands and so forth. I get that. States have to have a certain uh, amount, of, amount secrets. of secrets. Uh, but it just seems like the the amount of secrecy, I would say, you know, probably 90% of what they're doing, we have no idea. No idea. Uh, what's it going to take? Boy, boy, boy. boy. Um, well, it's a great I, point that, you know, yeah. there, there do have to be some secrets. I mean, we don't want the, you know, nuclear uh, cocktail, you know, the ingredients to bioweapon, like necessarily getting published. But I think that it's it's similar to when you ask, like, well, you guys release your code. Like, what, you know, is that is that smart? You know, there's just excessive fear around, you know, sharing information, whether it's corporation or government. And it, but it's 
ninety percent of it is, is is unjustified. Absolutely, and, um, absolutely. You know, like, national. Yeah, I would love for them to open source the technology behind the TR3B, for example. Yeah, you know, yes. uh, why are we still sending astronauts, uh, you know, up into space using rocket fuel? I mean, it's a, it's, it's just window dressing. I mean, these people, you know, whenever there's a shuttle disaster or whatever, these people have blood on their hands because it's all so unnecessary. You know, Boeing had, and were experimenting and had a near breakthrough with anti-gravitics in the nineteen. 19- well, they talked about it publicly in the late 1950s, and then all of a sudden this Iron Curtain descended, and we didn't hear anything more about it. And and the, and TR3B, the TR3B seems to have some anti-gravitic propulsion uh, aspects to it. Uh, Bill, we have to we have to have you back on and just talk UFOs. I love it. Let's do it. Thanks for having right. me. Yeah, My if pleasure. Minds.com. Yeah, minds.com slash Ottman. Hit me up. Thanks for having me. Will do. All right, all right. Bill Ottman. When we come back... The mystery of Ingersoll Lockwood. Stay with us.